Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Believe it or not, Kurzweil 1000, a relatively new OCR package for the blind, is already up to version 5.0. It's just been released. We've got Stephen Baum on the line now. He is from the uh, Education Division of Learnout and Houseby that release Kurzweil 1000. Stephen, you really have been putting out these releases at a prolific rate. We have been. um, And exactly how that will continue is, is a bit to be undecided right is a bit undecided right now there are a number of other things going on here and the amount of of uh well it we do re- we do new releases basically when we when we have ideas that we really want to get into the product um, and it's unclear how many new releases we will have at what rate in the future but we'll we probably will continue to do them on a fairly good clip Version 4.5 happened to be a bigger release than I expected it to be. There was a lot in it. And, uh, yeah, we, nonetheless, we didn't have much time to sit back and pause and think about it for version 5. So, what's, so yes. yeah, what kind of things are in version uh, 5 that are new? We should perhaps take a, take a bit of a feature tour of some of the new options that you have. Sure, by all means. Um, the first one, and it's really pretty important for us, is a new speech engine. Uh, this is a speech engine developed by our parent company, Learnout and Houseby, and it's called RealSpeak. And it's uh, it's very different from most speech engines that are on the market. It's made by recording a human speaker, presumably one whose whose voice you like, and recording them um, saying things following a script for days and days and days. Uh, the results of that recording are digitized, normalized, um, tagged, and a huge database is extracted from them. And the database contains not just phonemes, which is sort of the basic element of speech, um, but also syllables, entire words, and in some respects, entire phrases. Um, the speech engine itself then concatenates those things on the fly and analyzes prosody and various other things like that and ends up producing a speech which um, sounds somewhat more natural than pretty much anything else that's available on the market. We've got some rave reviews on this speech from people who've heard it over the web and now it's starting to get into people's hands. Um, you've been in this industry for a long time. Are you able to give a kind of a as independent as we can expect an assessment of of its functionality and when you would use it and when you might use something else? Oh, sure. I'm if nothing if not painfully uh, honest. Um, first off, we'll speak sounds great and is an excellent voice if to to sort of sit back and listen to a book with. It's very good to listen to over a long period of time. It tends not to exhaust people's attention. It tends to be very easy to listen to. It is, however, a very expensive speech engine in that it's doing an awful lot of things. And a consequence of that is, is, is it is not terribly responsive if you're trying to use it to echo keystrokes. So, for example, I tend not to use it as the system voice. I use it only as the reading voice. And for the system voice, I'll use 
any other speech engine I might happen to have lying around. Um, and I, I think that's generally an appropriate decision. There's also the fact that, that those of us who have used speech for years are very likely to like what we have been using rather than this and wonder what all the fuss is about. People become um, habituated to a particular voice pretty quickly, and nothing else sounds as good. There's sort of one other funny psychological thing that I've noticed happens now and then, which is this voice sounds enough like a human being that sometimes you find yourself getting annoyed with it for not understanding what it's talking about. It is quite a, a system hog, this thing, isn't it? You need a, a reasonably powerful machine to make it go. Right. You should have a 350 megahertz Pentium. Um, the minimum requirement is 64 megabytes of memory. So, yes, it uses a lot of system resources while it is running. One of the things that interested me was a comment that uh, Dr. Kurzweil made in his uh, comments um, that were published in the Brown Monitor in January, which was that eventually we would be able to use this technology to um, create our own speech synthesizer from either our own voice or someone's that we, we liked. How far away are we from that? Um, a few years, I would suspect. Basically, the only thing that really prevents doing that is the huge number of samples that are needed, the fact that you need a human being to then tag all those samples, and then simply the processing power to churn that stuff out. That processing power now requires a, a high-powered computer that will run for several days. Um, the way processing power decreases, that will get better. The tagging part will be eliminated largely by um, very improved high-quality speech recognition. And so, yes, we expect that we'll be able to get there. We're certainly not there now. It takes a fair amount of work to make one of these voices. I should point out that, uh, or add that in the uh, UK, there are at least, I think, two virtual newscasters that are under development. Uh, one is named Anna Nova, I don't recall the other. Both of them use RealSpeak technology, but with a different voice. So there are other voices coming eventually. So a virtual newscaster is a kind of thing where you will you will go to the web and, and this thing will, will what, read the news to you over the, over the web? Yeah, and uh, there's someone in the background who determines what emotion should be used when, when each, each uh, individual article is read. But other than that, it's using, um, you know, completely machine-oriented synthetic speech and it's real speech that they're using. How customizable does RealSpeak in terms of its ability to speed right up for those who are power users uh, and also in terms of pitch adjustment? Um, speed is highly customizable. It goes from, I believe, 50 words per minute to uh, 600 words per minute. And I find, I find it's not that bad at 400, for example. Um, I, I couldn't vouch that I understand every word at 400, but I understand enough to to comfortably read. Uh, on the other hand, there's no speech adjustment at all. Okay. I take it from what you've been saying about the, because of the technology involved, that um, although there may be screen readers out there that will let you use real speech, such as those that support the uh, Microsoft Speech API directly, it may not be necessarily suitable for screen reading tasks because of the, the delay factor involved between key presses and when you get feedback. 
Yeah, it depends what the alternatives are. Uh, I mean, there, there may be circumstances where people would prefer to use this as a screen reader, um, even though there are responsiveness issues. Um, I also think there are clever ways people could work to get around the responsiveness issues, some of which I'm thinking about now, which basically would involve caching um, WAV files for for all the letters of the alphabet, for example. Something like that would, would make the system go, would go a long way towards making it more responsive. Okay, well I have a copy of the RealSpeak speech here on the computer, so what we'll do is we'll put it through its paces just a little bit. Here is uh, the speech at just under 200 words a minute. I would say this is a fairly moderate pace, and this is what it sounds like. Hello there. My name is Jennifer, and I'm the voice of the RealSpeak speech synthesizer from LearnOut and HawSpeak. As you can hear, my speech is very clear, and as Stephen had just told you, that's because I'm a real person, with lots of little phrases and phonemes recorded by me and then stored inside your computer. Now, here's what it sounds like when I ask a question. So what do you think of the new app radio? I'd also just like to conclude by exclaiming that I personally think the main menu show is great. Especially since they decided to put me on their first show. Well, that's all from me. Bye for now. Now I'm going to crank up that speech a bit to 405 words a minute and see how it sounds at that speed. Hello there. My name is Jennifer, and I'm the voice of the real speak speech synthesizer from LearnOut and HawSpeed. As you can hear, my speech is very clear, and as Stephen had just told you, that's because I'm a real person with lots of little phrases and phonemes recorded by me and then stored inside your computer. Now, here's what it sounds like when I ask a question. So what do you think of the new app radio? I'd also just like to conclude by exclaiming that I personally think the main menu show is great. Especially since they decided to put me on their first show. Well, that's all for me. Bye for now. And just how fast can it go? Well, let's put the throttle right down to 600 words a minute and have a listen. Hello there. My name is Jennifer, and I'm the voice of the real speech synthesizer from LearnOut and HawSpeed. As you can hear, my speech is very clear, and as Stephen had just told you, that's because I'm a real person with lots of little phrases and phonemes recorded by me and then stored inside your computer. Now, here's what it sounds like when I ask a question. So what do you think of the new app radio? I'd also just like to conclude by explaining that I personally think the main menu show is right. Especially since they decided to put me on their first show. Well, that's all for me. Bye for now. And you're still bundling Flex Talk with the current release of uh, Kurzweil 1000? Absolutely. Um, we still clearly need other synthesizers with the product, partly for people who don't have a fast machine and partly for people who want multiple voices. So, yes, there is uh, FlexTalk is still with the product. Um, DeckTalk can be purchased in the DeckTalk edition um, once we get the negotiations out of the way, which is another story. And um, I should also mention that both versions of the product include TTS 3000, which is another suite of LearnOut and Houseby voices. Okay, so let's take a look at some of the other features that are in um, version 5.0 because there are a number of, of enhancements. I guess the next big thing would be changes in, in uh, recognition engines. Right. We're always looking out there for, for what's new, and the, the two OCR engines that we include in the product and have included since version 4.5, um, both companies have come out with new releases. The Fine Engine um, release is relatively minor. It adds uh, a handful of new languages. It fixes some known problems so that there were, for example, certain pages that could not be recognized before that recognize quite, quite nicely now. But it's not a, a terribly major release. On the other hand, the Expervision RTK release the other, which is the other OCR engine we have, is really a significant release. It reduces the number of errors on average by about uh, 20 to 30 percent, and uh, that's dramatic. That's that's rather significant. 
VRTK remains about the fastest OCR engine on the market. And so with it also having improved accuracy, it can be a pretty good choice. Having said that, fine engine is by our own benchmarks right now the most accurate engine on the market. How significant a difference is there? Is it something that the average user would uh, something that the average user would be quite conscious of? I think the answer is certainly yes for the difference between fine engine and um, and RTK. Certainly, customers will use one and swear by it, and others, some others may use the other and swear by it. It does, to a certain extent, depend upon the material that you scan. Um, Things like faxes, which tend to be poor quality, Fine Engine does tend to do a superior job on. On the other hand, certain fonts, re- relatively uncommon fonts, that are, um, well, for example, bold sans serif fonts that I, I've seen mainly in Eastern European material, actually recognize better with uh, the RTK. So it's somewhat font dependent as well. But 20% of errors per page, which is the amount of improvement between the old RTK release and the new one is definitely significant and noticeable. Depends on the material, though. And again, for those using slower systems, uh, it would be advisable to go with the uh, the RTK engine if CPU uh, issues are, uh, are at the forefront. Certainly. The, the speed differences between those two engines are pretty substantial. Um, RTK is very fast. Well, should we take a look at some of the user interface changes that we have in, in 5.0 and, and obviously some of the, the functionality changes that are at the user interface level? Okay. Uh, certainly probably one of the, the biggest news is table recognition. And uh, actually, let me see if I have a document here that I can, I can run and you can just listen to this for a moment. Um, let me... I've got a document up which actually is our list of scanners, and this is a page that I have in fact scanned, and it is a table. It's a table that indicates what scanners we have, what products they run on, and um, you know comments regarding those scanners. And we'll see how the uh, Kurzweil 1000 reads this particular page. We have scanners that we have tested in house.
Kurzweil 1000X. The X is simply what's in that table. Basically, it just has an X when the scanner is supported, a blank when the scanner is not supported. So, for example, if I have 95, I could be positioned at a particular spot in the table, and it will say X. But, of course, without some smarts, it's rather difficult to figure out what X means, you know, what, what scanner is it referring to, for example. You can go up and down a column of cells and listen to Xs, and you can hit one particular key, it is uh, Shift F7, and that will announce what the side heading and top heading is for that particular table cell. So again, if I do that, I'm going to move down a table a little bit, and then I'll hit Shift F7. X, blank, Anyway, that um, I was fumbling with the phone and the keyboard at the same time, so I may not have come over too well. But basically, I went down the row. It said, and when I hit Shift F7, it reported Epson 1200U 98. In other words, I'm looking at does the Epson 1200U does it work under Windows 98? And the response would be X or blank, depending upon whether it did. So table recognition gives you, or table identification gives you a way of navigating through tables and hopefully making some sense of, out of them. It is not a perfect feature in that it has, um, it's dependent upon the ability of the OCR itself to correctly identify a table. And OCR is in that, as in all other things, um, imperfect. When it works well, it works really well. When it doesn't work well, it can actually be rather annoying, and so there's a way to turn this feature off if you don't like it. Nonetheless, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, an honest first stab at actually making sense out of tables in a reading machine, which is not something that's been done before. And users should be aware when they get version 5 that it is actually disabled by default. You have to go in there and enable it. It is. It's disabled by default because there are certain pathological cases where the system will hang when it attempts to re read a table that, uh, and when table recognition is, is enabled. It was not a bug that we could fix because it wasn't actually in our code. It was in code we get from other sources. And so, unfortunately, we shipped with the feature disabled. In general, you'll find it works. It's fairly rare to run into a problem, but there are problems. And there will be a patch. Actually, there'll probably be a patch within, uh, say, within a month that fixes that particular problem. That went down particularly well at CSUN, I know, during the uh, dueling scanners uh, forum. There was a lot of comment about K1000's ability to deal with tables now. Yeah, it, it can demo well, and it can work very well, too. I mean, it can be a really useful feature. I don't personally want to oversell it, because there are certainly a number of times where you will find something that you think should read well as a table, and it may not. Um, when it works well, it's very, very good. And I hope to make it better over time. And what else can we find in 5.0? Okay, there are navigation and editing changes. Um, 
these are, are in many respects relatively modest, but we have had customers who, from the beginning when we first added editing in version 2.0, have said again and again that this is very nice, but we wish you would follow the standards. So now, Control Home will take you to the beginning of the document, Control N to the end of the document. Since we're still very page-oriented, that meant we wanted um, something to get you to the top and bottom of the page, and there's no real standard there. So we use Shift Page Up to go to the top of the page, Shift Page Down to go to the bottom of the page. We also added something at uh, a user's request who wanted Control Delete to delete the word to the right, Control Backspace to delete the word to the left, which turns out to be standard in Microsoft Word, but I had never known about it myself, and I do find it a very useful thing. Uh, there's also a Select All, which we did not have before, so you can finally say Control A and select the entire document. Once you select it, there's a limited number of things we let you do. Uh, that actually will work with that selection. You can cut, copy, and paste in standard manners, but you can't, for example, type a word and have that word replace the entire document. But in general, Control-A works reasonably well in the circumstances where you would actually want to use it. Something else we did at a customer's request was we changed the automatic bookmark, the one that uh, takes you to a particular position when you open a document that you've been reading before, and now that bookmark will take you to the beginning of the sentence you were last reading when you closed the document, before it took you to the start of a page that you were reading. Um, that, again, was a simple thing to do. It was a user request, and uh, so we put it in. Cursefile 1000 is almost at the point where you know, it has a thesaurus, it has a spell checker. You could pretty much use it for, for basic uh, word processing, no trouble at all. You could, and there's been some user interface changes in the thesaurus such that you can now use it to fairly readily find a different word for a word in a document and then replace the word in the document. So that's a, a new feature borrowed in part from the way certain versions of WordPerfect do that. So um, that's in there as well. Something that's useful at least in the United States, I'm not entirely sure it's useful outside of the United States, is that if we, if you open a file whose extension is .brl, .brf, or .bfm, we will assume it is a grade 2 Braille file and we'll convert it um, so that you can read the grade 2 Braille file uh, appropriately. So there's a built-in reverse Braille translation. Well, particularly in the U.S., unfortunately, Web Braille isn't available to anyone outside the U.S., but with the proliferation of those sorts of books uh, on the net these days from sources like Web Braille, you can now use your Cursor 1000 to just sit back and have those read to you if you want to. You can. That was, was certainly the idea. And I'd like to uh, suggest to people that that doesn't mean if they get a copyrighted Braille document off the web that they can convert it to ASCII and distribute it to all their friends um, that, in fact, would would um, violate U.S. copyright law and is not the way to go. But it does make it so that people who are speech users rather than Braille users um, can get access to, to Braille documents that might be available. Let's see, correction files. Um, most people, I hope, know what a corrections file is. It's essentially a facility that allows you a 
batch search and replace of any number of common mistakes in a document. And there are ways in which you can add to corrections and edit corrections and, of course, use corrections. But in past releases of the product, there's only been one corrections file. Now you can create new corrections files, and you can select which file to be used in different contexts. This makes a great deal of sense if you scan some documents that are in English and others that are, say, in Spanish, because certainly you would want different corrections to apply to Spanish than to English. So that's the, the principal reason for that one. Presumably, there may be a need for a different corrections file for each scanner engine because each one has its quirks. That's possible. Um, I haven't really investigated that, but I imagine that, that some customers will find that to be true. Um, it is kind of handy. The way to get into this, by the way, it's in the Tools menu. There's a new item called Select Corrections File, and uh, that will bring up a small dialog box where you can specify a corrections file, or um, it's a combo box, so you can type in a new name, you can select a name from the list. There are some people, incidentally, who've put some pretty amazing corrections files together. Um, are they included on the CD at all still? Um, they are. There's in the extras directory, there is coreutil.zip. Uh, Inside that is a corrections file, although I believe, uh, come to think of it, actually, the, that particular corrections file, if you have no corrections file already, you will automatically have that when you install the product. So that one comes pretty much for free. One of the notions of CoreUtil, which gives you a, a way of converting back and forth between corrections files, which are binary, and the an ASCII file that is somewhat easier to distribute and edit, was that people could make corrections files that they found useful and then email them to friends. Um, I don't know that many people do that, but that was sort of the concept of, uh, of CoreUtil. Uh, here's kind of an odd one, uh, reading duration. This is in the reading settings dialog, it's a new feature, and it allows you to specify in minutes how long you want the system to read in one continuous reading utterance. So the intent here primarily is for people who might be recording something that the Kurzweil 1000 is reading on a tape recorder and uh, the tape has a particular maximum length, let's say 45 minutes, and so you would specify, let's say 44 minutes to be on the safe side in this, and then let it start reading. Um, you could then go away and do something else. When you came back, your tape, of course, would be exhausted, um, and the Kurzweil 1000 would have stopped reading at the end of a paragraph at the end of 44 minutes. You would then flip the tape over, press the read key, and continue. Um, so that's the primary reason for that, and again, it was a feature that was asked for by, by several customers. Let's see, something else that is new and worth discussing a little bit is the file dialog enhancements. And um, I'm sure, Jonathan, you remember that basically every release we've changed the file dialog, and sometimes quite a bit. Yes, it's a bit of a hot topic, isn't it? It's it's one of those issues where you know, some people swear by the... Um, Internet Explorer, sorry, the Windows Explorer interface, and then there are others who swear at it, and I guess uh, you are caught in the middle somewhere there. I am. I, I mean, some of the things people have 
complained about my interface were things I deliberately did because I found um, Windows Explorer to be slightly, somewhat confusing. Basically, it is a Windows Explorer user interface, but there is um, one really fundamental way in which it's quite different, and maybe I should explain that way since I don't think I ever have it publicly, which is that in the folder tree, which is first control in a file dialog, that is very much like a Windows Explorer folder tree, except for, I guess, really two important things. One, it does not contain files. It only contains folders, whereas Windows Explorer will contain both, if you, in general. And a second is that um, I use the arrow keys somewhat differently. Up arrow, for example, will get you to the next folder in the current list of folders, current with the same parent folder, but it will not get you to the parent folder. Only left arrow will do that. Um, in the same way, down arrow will not get you to the parent folder or the next folder of, of, that, of the parent hierarchy. It will only get you to the next folder in the current hierarchy. And again, left arrow is the only thing that takes you up hierarchy. Right arrow is the only thing that takes you down hierarchy. Um, that's a difference, and I do find people now and then who hit up arrow repeatedly, it beeps at them, and then we get phone calls saying that there's no way to get out of the um, My Documents hierarchy, or the yeah, My Documents Kurzweil Educational Systems hierarchy. Um, I guess never realizing that the left arrow would be the, the way to do that, left arrow or uh, backspace. So that's really, in many respects, the principal difference. One thing I've done in this release is to add some more features that are um, even more, make it even more Windows Explorer-like in some respects. The main ones being that certain shortcuts now work in any of the file dialogs. And the file dialogs are the dialogs that are brought up with file open, file save as, file delete, file utilities, folder change, and folder delete. Um, control A will select all files in a file list. Control X will cut selected files from the file list or a selected folder in the folder tree. You have to use Control Z, paste, to finish that, and you always have to be pointing at a folder when you do Control V. Control C, in the same way, will copy selected files in the file list or a selected folder in the folder tree. And again, you use it with Control V. And you can use Delete to delete selected files from the file list or a folder in the folder tree. Um, that, of course, requires a confirmation. Another thing that's a little different, although not a big deal, is there are shortcuts to get from one control to another in the file dialogs. And the um, mnemonics for these shortcuts come from Windows Explorer file open. The Alt-I will take you to the folder tree, and the signal there is, is uh, in, I think, is what's is the important word in that context. Alt-N to the file name text box. Alt-T to the format list when you're in the Save As dialog. So hopefully you've so made everybody happy now because uh, you've got that uh, Explorer-like functionality while retaining the original interface. That's the theory, and I'm sure it won't make everyone happy because I'm sure there'll be something else that 
uh, I will have to do later. There are a number of, of very minor bug fixes in the file dialogues and elsewhere that really I won't get into other than to say that if you were surprised by the way something worked in the past, you might be pleasantly surprised this time around. There are things that um, are relatively minor user interface su surprises that, that uh, have been fixed in this release. Okay. Have we got something anything else to, to talk about in this uh, amazing U5.0? Oh, sure. Um, sort order. Again, this is in the file dialogues. There is a new list box, and it is called uh, sort or sort by, and it allows you to control the sort order in the file list. Um, until now, the file dialogues, the files in those lists, were always listed in alphabetical order by file name. Now you can choose alpha that as a sort option, but there is also descending as well as ascending. And you can sort by name, by modification date, by extension, and by file size. And uh, to do this, the easiest way, frankly, is to use Control-S when you are in the file list. Um, because, of course, that's the list you want to sort, so you probably want to stay there. And just use Control-S to change the sort order. The sort order is a um, setting, and it will be saved if you save settings. So you can you know, pick a sort order that you prefer and keep it that way if you want to. Um, and just to, to demonstrate that we, we're not... Um, kidding when we say we're, can, you can sort by size, you can finally find out what the size of the file is within the product. There is a file properties dialog box. You can get to it by being in a file list in a file utility in a file dialog and pressing a question mark. That will bring up another dialog, which is the file properties dialog. That dialog contains the usual suspects, the DOS file name, the folder that one is with, one is in the modification date and the file size. Um, it also has whether or not the file is read-only, and if it is a file with an extension of .kes, it has a file description, so you can enter a description in that dialog, and um, the description is simply a variable-length free-form field that contains whatever you happen to want, <coughs> want, in, that, uh, want in there. And let's see. I'm checking myself here. Oh, you can open multiple files simultaneously, so I'm going to ask for that. Um, where that's really useful is if you have a folder full of image files that you would like to have recognized and kept as one file. You can select the image files and um, in a file open dialog, and what we will do is open each image file recognize its contents and pour them into a text, a, you know, standard file, more or less as though as if you had scanned it. So it's kind of like the and old batch scanning uh, feature of, of the olden days. Well, and the batch scanning feature is still in there in a more automated fashion. But this one becomes useful if those image files you have happen to been delivered to you from some other mechanism besides batch scanning. Right, so it's kind of more uh, configurable in terms of the um, the file naming conventions, that kind of thing. That's right. Mm. The file launch facility has gotten somewhat more powerful, and here the power is simply that now you can specify that if you want to pass a document 
to a particular application you are launching, you can also um, enforce that that document be of a particular format. And if it is not, the Kurzweil 1000 will automatically convert it to that format before launching the application. Um, file launch facility, I think, is is an underused feature of the product, but is actually quite handy. It, and it allows you to do things like launch into Duxbury for um, high-quality Braille conversion and formatting uh, would be one example of the use of the file launch feature. How can people who would like to explore this further uh, get a demo of the product? There are a couple ways of getting a demo. Um, there is a, um, I believe there is a website address, and give me a moment, I can actually look that up. First off, I will give you the phone number here. Um, you can call at, for those people who are in the United States, you can call 800-894-5374 and ask for a demo of the Kurzweil 1000 from them. Uh, www.lhsl.com slash education is essentially the Kurzweil Educational System Group's homepage. And if I go to that page, I can uh, get to product information for the Kurzweil 1000. There is a spot where I can uh, begin to ask for a demo. And I'll give you the full address for the order form here for that, which is www.lhsl.com slash education slash products slash orderdemo.asp. And that's orderdemo.asp is one word. There's no spaces there. Uh, the demo will run for 30 days. And after 30 days, it will automatically remove itself from your computer. Um, if you install it again after that point, it will simply not work and remove itself again, so it's not too useful to reinstall. It will also run for, I believe it's an hour um, per session. When that hour is up, if you try to scan a page, it will tell you that the hour is, is over. You still will be able to save files at that point and exit and come into the product again and it will work. There's one other restriction, which is that the TTS 3000 voices that are normally shipped on the product are not shipped in the demo, and that's simply because we haven't protected them in any way. So if we were to put them in the demo, it would be the same as giving them away. Um, RealSpeak is in the demo and is protected, and uh, as is FlexPop. Do you have any information on how much uh, Kurzweil 1000 is, is selling for, for new users? For new users, it's $995 for the FlexTalk version. For the DeckTalk version, and keep in mind right now there is no 5.0 DeckTalk version. It will be once we um, finish negotiations with the people who sell DeckTalk. Um, that version is $200 more, so that's $1195. But, so the FlexTalk version is $995 US. Now, people who have a DeckTalk that they um, bought from Hinder Joyce is part of JFW, can use it as long as they keep JFW in memory, as I understand it. But those who bought DeckTalk through GW Micro can actually unload their window eyes completely and the DeckTalk works with Kurzweil 1000. That's, that's correct. And uh, 
Yeah, it works just fine with GW Micro. Um, it is a little harder to have it work with the version from JAWS, but it can be done. That's Stephen Baum from Learn Up and House Be talking about Kurzweil 1000 version 5.0. <laughs> A special welcome to you if you've just joined us. This is ACB Radio Mainstream, one of three channels on the acbradio.org website. This is the main menu show, here every week from 9 to 11 Eastern on a Sunday night. That's 1 to 3 hours GMT on Monday morning. We look at technology from a blindness perspective. I'm Jonathan Mosen. We're always interested in contributions from listeners. So if you have a piece of software that you'd like to review, or uh, maybe a piece of hardware, maybe you have an idea for... Uh, a main menu program. By all means, get in touch with us. Let us know what you think of the show. The address is support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You can find ways to contact us on our website, of course, at www.acbradio.org. And we certainly appreciate you spreading the word about Main Menu, ACB Radio Mainstream, and indeed the other broadcast services that you can find on ACB Radio. Radio's main menu. This is DJC at calweb.com with news and views you can use. And very special greetings to you. This is Don Coco from Sacramento, California, and welcome to my part of the program on the main menu from ACB Radio. Today I'd like to interview Joy Tilton who is my neighbor here in Sacramento, California, and she owns a talking microwave oven. And this is uh, quite a unique product, and I thought this would be a good idea for a program today. So here's Joy to give us a demo of the talking microwave. Okay, on the main menu program today, I'm in the kitchen of my neighbor, Joy. Hi, Joy. How are you? Not too bad. Great, great. Now, you have a real unusual device. I mean, at least I think it's unusual because I'd be interested to find out via email maybe uh, how many people in our audience have talking microwave uh, ovens. And I would bet that not that many people have the talking one, and you happen to have one. Why don't you tell us something about this particular unit here? Well, uh, this is actually a uh, modified um, Gold Star uh, that was modified by a company... Uh, somewhere in England, I can't give you an actual place at the moment, uh, Cobalt uh, is the name of the company, and um, it's been s- distributed um, through a couple of places in the U.S. Um, for roughly $350. That's probably why a lot of people don't have this kind of microwave. <laughs> it's a little high in price, but uh, for what it for for what it does for the price of the microwave, it works really good. Uh, I'll tell you that much. What is the wattage of it? Any idea? Um, I it's, it's an um at least eight hundred watts. Oh yeah. Eight hundred uh-huh. watts, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh. Do you know, now you bought this a couple of years ago, is that right? Yes. <laughs> and do you know if they're still making these? I mean, are they still available on the market? Or I'm seeing advertisements uh, for them in uh, some of the, like, um, Ann Morse Enterprise catalogs, and and I think Maxi Age is still selling them. 
So they are still available for yeah. people who would be interested in this sort of thing. Right. Once they hear this interview, perhaps. Right. Okay, well, it's a handsome-looking unit, I can tell you that. And I noticed that uh, looking at the different buttons here, it's got a whole bunch of uh, buttons. And the top one's a square. And then underneath they have a couple of buttons that are sort of, uh, uh, what would you call that, oblong, cupula? Uh, Those diamond ones on the bottom, yeah, diamond shape. The, the three yeah. in the bottom are, are diamond shape. And the ones up on top, and they're, they're really big buttons, too. Uh, yes. <laughs> the microwave I have at home is just a flat panel, you know, and you have to find where to press it, you know, and this one is really nice. So why don't you, uh, why don't you give us a demo of it, how it all works? Okay. <clears throat> well, there's, there's actually one, two, three, four rows of buttons. Uh -huh. And um, uh, the top row is your uh, time and uh, timer. Um, 2.08 p.m. It's 2.08 p.m. over here. And you notice the um, nice English accent. It sounds like your average uh, English butler, you could say. Uh, then we have um, to the right of the uh, time button, is the timer timer only? Uh, you can use that also to find out um, how much time is remaining on the food you're cooking, or you can use it for your timer. Uh, it goes up to fifty-nine. Uh, see, fifty-nine minutes and fifty-nine seconds on this particular timer. Then we have um, cancel. Okay, I just canceled it. And then we have. Um, about four buttons here. Uh, these have to do with programming. Uh, the first button on the left is, um... Medium, high power, medium power, medium, low power, low power, high power. That's your power button. And then you can, uh... Defrost meat, defrost poultry, defrost fish, defrost fruit, defrost bread, defrost meat. Okay. So you have uh, uh, your defrost settings, and you have uh, cook settings. Cook meat, cook meat, medium. Cook meat, low. Oh, cook poultry, hot. cook poultry, medium. Cook poultry, low. And these are you know, uh, cook settings for meat, poultry, vegetables, uh, and that sort of thing. And then you have a, um, a setting button for uh, convenience foods. Convenience food pie. Convenience food medium. Frozen convenience food one. Frozen convenience food two. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's not like if you want to cook um, your stopers, macaroni and cheese, or something like that. And um, you can have the settings for that. And under underneath, um, we have three multifunction buttons. 10, 20 minutes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 10, 20. Uh, your, the first button on the left is your minute button and also it's used for pounds or kilos uh, so that's for pounds or kilos so you know for your programming and then um, then we have the one minute two minutes three minutes one minute two minute you know your, your uh, one minute increment button or your ounce button and then the third button is uh, three minutes, ten seconds. Your every it goes every ten seconds. Um, it also changes uh, the setting from 
pounds and ounces to uh, kilos and you know kilos and grams. Cancel. So, and then underneath, uh, again, I was I'm hit, I I hit the cancel button to clear the programming. Uh, on the bottom, we have the first button. These are the diamond-shaped ones now. The first button is your uh, cancel or pause button. And then the middle one is your auto minute button. That's this, and when you press that, it starts off with one minute, and it starts um, uh, it starts the uh, process, the, the microwave going. And then um, you have the start button all the way to the right. That's when you type in your minutes and seconds, and then you press the start button. So that's all the buttons here. Oh, very good. Very good. How about giving us a demo of how it actually works? Okay. Um, say I wanted to make um, well, it's a, a cup of coffee, you know, for instance. I would, since the, uh, since we're, the, the default button is in the um, high, in, in the pow high power, you know, that's, that's the default setting. Um, all I'd have to do is say I want to make coffee. I just type in with a one minute button. One minute. And then. One minute, ten seconds. One minute, twenty seconds. Start. High power. One minute, twenty seconds. Yeah. And, and the RF sound that you hear is not coming from the microwave itself but from the actual speaker. Right, I can hear that, yes, uh-huh. Well, that may not be picked up on tape, but there is a sound to, I guess, alert the person that it's actually on type of thing. Yeah, it's actually the, the sound of the speaker causing that, um, that sound there. Right, I'm sure they do that intentionally to, maybe to alert a person that it's on type of thing. Yeah. Great, great. It's quite a handsome unit, I can tell you. I mean, it, it, it's very handsome looking. It's a very nice, nice unit indeed. Uh, very good sized buttons, certainly. Uh, you know, you can't miss them, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're, they are very, um, they're, they're molded buttons. Right, a molded type of uh, plastic button. Complete. Great. So it, it shut down. It's the the uh, the uh, cup of coffee would be ready. So yeah. So how do we retrieve the cup of coffee? Well, <laughs> then there's a a big uh, not only really a button but a I think a depression button underneath the speaker. Uh huh. Um, door open. And you press that and it opens the door. See, it says, even says door open. That's pretty <laughs> remarkable. Huh? <laughs> Yeah. So then you would retrieve the cup of coffee and, yeah. uh... Yep. Uh, exactly. And then you get your cup of coffee. And then you have it, right, right. Yeah. Right. And then you just do... Door closed. Door closed, <laughs> yeah. And there you go. Now, another interesting feature of this microwave is, um, when you do your program settings, like if you want to, uh, defrost your poultry, for instance, and you set the amount of, um, pounds of that poultry and the, the weight of the poultry and as you're cooking or as you're defrosting it um 
there'll come a time where it'll stop and then it'll tell you rearrange food. It'll actually pause and tell you to rearrange food. Um, so you do that and then you put it back in and press the start button again and it continues on with the defrosting process. I see. And, it, and then when it's done, I mean, this is something a lot of us don't think about, but when it's done, sometimes if it's something real hot, it'll tell you to leave to stand. Uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of us, you know, when, when something is done, we just run in a microwave and open it and it's still sizzling away. So I guess for a safety measure or or to let it set some in the microwave, it tells you leave to stand. I see. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know. I see. Well, it certainly is a nice unit, and you say, uh, as far as you know, they do still make them, huh? Yes. Great. Great. I'll tell you what, I'll take one, huh? <laughs> that would be great. It also uh, it also lets you know that the door is open if you try to press the buttons. Oh, yeah. Door oh, yeah. Uh -huh. is open, so uh, that way, close the door, and then you can proceed on with your... Right, right, right. Uh, Very good. Okay, well, thank you very much for being my visitor today, Joy. Thank you for showing me this unit. I'll tell you what, I'll take one, huh? <laughs> You'll take one, yeah. Sure. Yeah, give me 350 and <laughs> you got a deal. There you go. <laughs> Thanks a million for being on the main menu today. If this interests you, you can drop by www.cobalt.co.uk and you can probably get more information on this particular product as well as their other talking products. That's www.cobalt, that's K-O-B-O-L-T, dot C-O dot U-K. Well, that's it for this week. Until next week, this is DJC at calweb.com for ACB Radio's main menu, thanking you for listening. See you next week. I suppose it's only natural. Many of us always want to have the latest and greatest on our computers. That sometimes means that we are willing to take a few risks and beta test software. When a company says that a software is a beta test product, it means that it is most likely to have bugs. The people who develop the software have done their best to debug it in-house, but it's only until you get a piece of software out in the field, testing it on a range of systems and in a range of environments, that you really start to find out what the developers might have overlooked. All companies that release beta software tell us this and make it very clear that there are considerable risks involved in beta testing a product. Hinterjoyce recently released a beta version of a patch to JAWS for Windows 3.5 that adds a few minor enhancements and fixes a few bugs. There is a disclaimer on their web page. People should read it. Uh, it is beta software and therefore it is bound to have bugs. Nevertheless, even those experienced beta testers who know what they're getting into sometimes get frustrated. The following was submitted to me, and it is in no way meant to be a slight attempt to Joyce, because they're doing a great job, and beta software is bound to have bugs, so I want to make that clear. However, it was such a wonderful piece of sound editing, and also very, very funny, that I just couldn't resist playing this to you.
Welcome to the JAWS for Windows Patch Setup Program. Please relax while Dr. JAWS examines your system. This may take a couple of minutes. Dr. JAWS, please wait. Dr. Jaws. Dr. Jaws is diagnosing your system. Dr. Jaws has found settings for JFW which you have spent years and years customizing for each of your applications. Dr. Jaws has no respect for you nor your settings files. Dr. Jaws is now permanently deleting all of your JFW settings files. Please wait. Dr. Jaws found errors with JFW. Too bad. Dr. Jaws will not fix them. Dr. Jaws, this program has performed an illegal operation and will be shut down. If the problem persists, contact the program vendor. Close button. Thank you for installing the JFW update patch. Now, you're screwed. You are a loser. Ha 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 Well, that's one way of venting your frustration. Thank you very much to Patrick Perdue for submitting that. Uh, just a reminder that uh, the JAWS for Windows beta patch is working just fine on many people's systems. There was an issue reported, uh, which I think prompted that little piece, relating to the preservation of existing settings. It is always important that you back up your existing installation of any piece of software when you install it just in case you want to revert to your previous installation there are a number of important uh, enhancements to JFW version 3.5 and if you want to test that you in most cases won't have any problems I expect there will be some rectification shortly of the uh, losing of settings uh, in the next version of the JFW patch Main Menu is a program brought to you by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday night on ACB Radio Mainstream beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern, repeating at various times throughout the week. To listen and view the schedule, go to acbradio.org slash mainstream. You can also tune in with your favorite radio app slash device or use ACB Link for Android or iOS. Call area code 605-475-8130. Do you have an idea, suggestion, or contribution you'd like us to consider? Please email mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Main Menu. Please note that airing of any content is subject to approval by the Main Menu team. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on another edition of Main Menu.